Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just loving us and being so faithful and and so patient and so kind and just just being there for us and always being being who you are no matter what so we give you the praise for that holy spirit speak through me this morning in the mighty name of jesus amen, amen. okay i have a good week good 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 good, good. okay so uh let's start off here in psalm and I just want to read the scripture. I'm going to tie it in because we've been talking about Romans. Okay, anybody remember what I talked about last week? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So Romans, uh, uh, Psalm says this in Psalms 32, verse 1. I want to read this. The blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Him, and in whom and in whose spirit is no deceit. How many guys come out? You know where we're reading from? We're reading from Psalms. Anybody know what that's called in the Bible? The Old Testament, right? Whoa, there's gospel in the Old Testament. You gotta be kidding me. How in the world do they get that? Got a hint. Well, the New Testament would not be the New Testament without the Old Testament. Right, because it all ties in, and you read Paul, and you read, read all the gospel writers. They're bringing in the scripture; otherwise, the New Testament would have no leg to stand on. Does that make sense? And so, it's important to be able to go back to the Old Testament. I was at Danny's years ago, and I was with a guy from our church. I was an associate pastor at another church, and and we had some men meeting, and we're sitting there at Danny's, and we're talking, and and um. And he 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 was like, uh, why why are you always into the Old Testament? Why are you always into that? This because of the Jewish roots, because of this. And I was like, I was like, no, I was like, like because if I didn't see Jesus in the Old Testament, how would I believe he's in the New Testament, right? And I was like, you know what? You need to be able to persuade someone that Jesus is is the Messiah, that Jesus is the chosen one through the Old Testament. And he's like, why are you ever going to do that? And I was like, I don't know. God just brings it around. And there was a guy in the booth sitting behind us. And he's like, I believe in the Old Testament, but I don't believe Jesus is Messiah. And so we're like, come on over here, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, what's your problem? And he's like this. And I was like, well, I'll take you here. And he's like, what's your problem here? And he's like, I'll take you there. And he's like, oh, that makes sense now. Right? And so... To, you don't want to discount the Old Testament, which we call it the Old Testament, but really it's called the Torah, the writings, and the prophets. So it's the law, the five five books of Moses, we call it the Pentateuch, but it's actually, we in the Hebrews call it the Torah, right? Then you have your writings, and then you have your prophets, and they all, the whole book is all pointing towards Jesus and telling us about Jesus and what he should be. And so 
that guy didn't quite give his life completely to Jesus that day, but he sure had to think about it. And so I believe that that set a seed for him to think about that. And so that's real important when, when we think about those things is to know that this whole word is the whole counsel of God. One thing that kind of bugs me a little bit is we like give out New Testaments to new believers. And we're like, here, read this, read this. And I love that we read that, but I think that we forget that there's power in all the counsel of God. It's real important for us to know that. Now it says this. Let me read this one more time. Remember, this is the Old Testament, right? This is blood and guts and fury and God throwing stones and throwing his hammer. And well, that's not the right God, is it? That's not what we think so much of the time, right? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Wouldn't that be so awesome if that would be us? I mean, if this just wasn't talking about someone else, but this was actually talking about us, how we are really blessed. Because like our transgressions are are forgiven. Can you imagine? Just for a second, just close your eyes and figure out how would that feel? Whoa. <laughs> wow, my transgressions are forgiven. I wish I was that, dude. That'd be really great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be really cool? I mean, how blessed would that be? Or whose sins are covered. Now, here, here's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they had what was a sacrifice. And the sacrifice would come and it would, it was like from the word kipa. We get the word kipa where um, in Hebrew, where you wear a kipa, it covers, it reminds you that you're covered by God. But, but it's a kiparet sacrifice. And so that sacrifice would go and it would cover you for a year or cover you till you need another sacrifice. And it never completely did away with it. But here David's seeing into the future. He's seeing something different. And he's seeing that, you know something? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. When Jesus died on the cross, he did, just, did not just die to cover our sins. He washed them completely away. Therefore, there's no need for another sacrifice. Right? And that's why they're trying to kill Paul. That's why they're trying to kill the disciples. Because they're saying, hey, dude, like, like we're going to keep doing this because it's part of it and uh, to be in the, in the community. But guess what? Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the one and final sacrifice that you can live and have life and have life everlasting. It's not something that you have to do. And go back under the old law. If if you messed up, they had an offering for it, man. They they had something you could do for it, right? In in faith coming up before we even see Martin Luther, like they had penance and all this stuff, and nobody could read the Bible, right? Right, except the people who are telling you what the Bible said. Thank God that we we can read for ourselves nowadays, right? Right. But there's things you had to give this, or you had to do this, or you had to do something to get in right standing back with God. And all of it led to us trying to save ourselves, trying to do something that could get us to a point where, you know what, the onus is no longer on God becoming the sacrifice and being the provider. Now it's up to us. Yeah, Jesus died for us. He died on the cross. But guess what? That wasn't good enough. That's what we're saying. 
right? I mean, is that not really what we're saying? Is it like, like I buy you steak dinner, and you're like, yeah, you're eating part of it, but then you go home and cook your own steak. You know what you're saying? Your steak wasn't good enough, James. I didn't like your steak as much as I did mine. I'll take care of it on my own. And your steak probably ain't near as good as mine because I can cook steak. And I'll give you a ribeye too. I won't give you the cheap stuff, you know. I'll just like, I don't like cheap. Cow's cow, man. I'll eat any part of it. I'll eat the, I'll eat the hooves if I have to, right? I'll eat the glue. Man, I used to eat glue. So, I mean, that explains a lot, don't it? <laughs> right? And so, but the question then becomes for us, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Yes. And that's really what it boils down to because this whole book is about him. So blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Man, I'd love to be that man. How about you? You are. Yeah. Oh, I am. Oh, so I'm blessed. Huh. So I'm to think about it. Blessed is the man who sin the Lord. L, capital L, O, capital O, capital R, capital D. What is that? It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh, which means what? Yude Bave. I am that I am. Right? He's the very essence of everything that's the lord that's the name that the jewish people will not even write out because they're afraid of taking his name in vain right so here we have who sin the lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit he's like man i ain't trying to trick you i'm not trying i didn't say here here's a carrot like your sins are forgiven but you gotta grab that carrot oh you almost got it you know, I mean, it's fun watching us doing stuff like that. Right? That's kind of fun watching stuff, right? Ever have a cat? Like try to get them chased like a little mouse or get them chasing a light. They're chasing it all over and they never catch it. But it's fun watching them. So we think God likes them sometimes. And he's not like that in any way, shape, or form. You guys hear what I'm saying? And it's real important for us to understand that. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Listen, you know what he's saying? I'm going to mess up. I made mistakes, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to hide it from God. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to him and say, hey, look, man, I blew it. And you know what? He's going to be like, oh, my gosh, thank you for telling me because I didn't <laughs> know that happened. Like, I had no clue. I'm, like, totally caught off guard. No, he's not. He's like, I know. That's why I provided the sacrifice for you. When I was in high school, I used to worry so much about um, losing my salvation, right? And so, um, like, I knew. Like, I'd get up in the morning, it was done already. Like, I just needed, like, I was in high school, man. 
right? I'm playing football and doing all these fun things. And, and, and even when I did, even when I tried, I messed up. And even when I, when I didn't try, I messed up. And it seemed like no matter what I could do, I could not be perfect. On top of that, I'm a preacher's kid. You know anything about being a preacher's kid? You're expected to be perfect, right? And guess what? Not just a preacher's kid. I'm a grand preacher's kid. That makes it worse. Not only my grand preacher's kid, you can go back another generation. Like so, so you want to go back on on all that stuff being like I had generations of generations of generations where I felt like I was expected to be perfect. And that expectation wasn't my expectation. That expectation was when I walked in church, you better sit there. You, you better not be like all the other hooligans rolling under the seats and doing this and all that. <laughs> right? And so I got this mindset in, in my mind by the time I got to high school, like I was like, you know, Jesus, don't even try coming back. I'm going to mess up when you do. I mean, I'm going to get left stuck feeding the dogs. Right? Always trying to figure out how I can be good enough. And I knew there was no way in my own strength I never would. And so we'd have these youth rallies and we'd go to these youth rallies and about once a month and about at least every other month, I'd get saved. <laughs> I go down, I was like crawling bawling and crying. <laughs> Finally, my dad comes up and sets with me after one of them and goes, son? like we might need to talk a minute and i was like i know i'm so bad i'm so right you got and my dad's like no 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 he's like don't you understand you have security like you don't just sneeze and lose your salvation now there is some some doctrines that teach that right and it's a hamster wheel that makes you go on and on and on. One doctor says, oh, you sneeze, you lose your salvation. They're like, don't be like the dudes that once saved, always saved. I'm like, well, once saved, I'm completely saved because Jesus did a finished work. Which is it? He either did it or he didn't do it. But you can't have it both ways. But it becomes something that will, it literally is not a blessing, but it literally becomes a torture. Like, is that too real? Can I say that about it, it's doctrine that isn't true doctrine and it's false doctrine. And when you fall into that, you fall into a pit. And when you fall into that pit, then you can't get out. That's where Jesus hit. Like he didn't hit the sinners, man. He's going to have a lunch with them. He was meeting them down at Denny's or or Buzz In or wherever, you know, Outback Steakhouse. He's just having fun. But the religious people were coming and they were saying, you got to do this, do this, 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 this. And the thing is, is they couldn't do it themselves. What they were telling him to do, they couldn't do themselves. And so they would make up these loopholes to save themselves so that they could get accomplished what they needed to get accomplished and still have what they felt like was a clear conscience. And it was totally anti-scriptural and anti-way of what God wanted to do stuff. And that's what Jesus hit. That's what Jesus combated more than anything. He he called them names, man. You know, if he had Twitter, they would have banned him. <laughs> you know, Jesus, you can't tell tell these guys they're white law, white washed sepulchers, you know. 
And if you see Twitter, you see on the main news, Jesus runs the, the money changers out of the temple with a whip. Well, with Jesus too, we wear the WWJD bracelets. And we think Jesus was a milk toast pansy. It wasn't. He was grace and strength and power all in one, man. And guess what? Guess where he's at now? In here, right? So that gives us hope. So here, here David, David's saying, saying, therefore let everyone who is who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. Who's, who is his hiding place? He's already said, who sin the Lord, he's going to the Lord, that I am that I am. You're my, my hiding place. I am in you and you're in me. The great I am, the ever-present help, sometimes. Always. Always. Ever-present help in when? In a time of need. Do you know when you need somebody? Like, it's really cool when they're there. It's cool when they're there when you don't need them, but when you really need help, like, you you really need them, right? I remember I was in college, and I was moving some panels, and I was on this. Um, I was supposed to have help because we're setting up the arena to have a big cutting, and we did a fundraiser at the college for so we could go by pick on roping so we could go on trips. And so um, nobody showed up but me. I got these panels and I'm getting madder and madder and mad at the people for not showing up. I'm mad because I have a deadline to get this stuff. And then I'm mad because I can't do it all by myself. I don't feel like then I'm mad at God because God put me in this situation. And so I would say, you know something, God? You got all these angels just staring around looking at me. Can't, <laughs> can't someone just stink and help me? <laughs> And so God said, grab a panel. And I did. I started grabbing a panel. And before long, I don't know because I was mad or actually angels showed up. But I had that thing, whole thing loaded. And I was down, down there. And it taught me something. Wait a second. I needed his help. And I don't know how that happened to this day. But I know it happened. Why? Because he is a ever present help in the time of need people come by like how did you do that like god god did it he's like your name ain't god it's jane and i'm like no but god did it right so it's practical what god wants to do in our lives so it says this you are my hiding place you will will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance i will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding. Actually, horses and mules have plenty of understanding. So most of them are smarter than us. But what he's saying is, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. See, this is who David didn't know horsemanship, apparently. <laughs> he needed some help, right? He wasn't a horse whisperer here, right? What is he saying? You don't want to be made like the God's always talking about the, the Jewish people that the Israelites saying he's not all of them, but a lot of them saying they're stiff necked. What's he talking about? Stiff neck. That's a horsemanship term. 
So, so the first thing we do when we get a horse is we want them to be able to flex their neck. Why? Because when they can bend, they literally follow that nose, and then you can guide them. They get soft and they get supple, and then or they can bend here, they can bend there. A stiff neck horse would go like this. You're asking them to go here, and they're going like this and going over. They might drag you down the road, right? But if you can get that neck turned just a little bit, you can disengage that horse, get his hindquarters, get his body bent, and he'll just flow and move with you. And that's where it's what David's really talking about right here is that God wants to guide us with the light hand, with the light touch. He doesn't want us to ask lightly and then us go like this. I'm going right over here. He's saying we're going to follow him, right? We're going to walk with him. We're going to move with him. Those horses get so soft and supple, they can feel what you're going to do before you do it, and they just flow with you. And that's what God's saying. I'll teach you how to go. Will you trust me? Will you go where I go? We take those horses in places, then the horses don't normally go. You know why they go? That's they trust you. And that's a huge deal. Do you trust him? Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds a man who trusts in himself. No. Trust in who? Uh, in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. Now I'm going to go to Romans. But remember last week I was talking about Romans. Romans chapter 1 is about indulgence. Romans chapter 2 is about comparison, right? Indulgence is simply, it's, it's one of the ways that we say, it's like medicating ourselves, right? You know, for me, I like chocolate donuts. And I like milk. I'm having a hard time, man, I'm looking. Like, I, I will not eat a donut. I will not eat a donut. Next thing I know, I'll eat two packs of them. Right? Why? Because I've made that in my life something that medicates when I'm hurt, right? So <laughs> instead of just taking a little, I start indulging in it. Pretty soon before you, you know it, you're eating more donuts than you really should. One donut won't kill you. Two won't either, but you start eating a bunch of them. Really should because I'm over indulging and trying to find my security in something other than where I need to find it. Right? We do that with all kinds of things. It can be not just donuts. We all have this. This isn't something that's just like, oh, well, you have this and you have that. Every one of us have something that triggers us that we run to when we have those problems. That's because that's the flesh. Right? And so, we have this indulgence where when things go wrong and things go bad or things go, we depend on that to soothe us rather than trusting God and learning to go to him. Does that make sense? And so really what we're doing is those donuts are becoming God. Right? The thing I watch, I, I like watching Viking movies and all these old fashioned things, but like, now these guys are they're taking little wood things and worshiping them and burning them up. They're burning up in front of their eyes. They're taking all these idols and then they they're indulging in the worship of these idols. And those idols are created things that cannot even save them. And it always blows my mind why 
we we do that. Some people, some Christians, believe it or not, sometimes we do that with the cross and think it's the cross that has power rather than the work that was done on the cross that had the power. You guys hear what I'm saying? So there's different types of indulgences, but then there's comparison. Now, what is comparison? It's judging. Yeah. Yeah. So now I got to, um, when I was on the cold starting challenge, did the cold starting challenges, I, I busted my ribs up so they wouldn't let me compete the next week in Iowa. So I didn't miss the next one up so I did crash. But um, so they're like, Dane, you're going to judge. So I judge. You know what I did when I was judging? I was really what I was doing, I was comparing. So this guy, can you click off these? They, there's this judge sheet and they have to complete this, these tasks and they get so many points for each task. So I am judging them by what I think they should do. And then I'm comparing and finding who was the best one out there. Obviously the best one was judging them. <laughs> right? But, but at the same time, here I am, I'm comparing and, and I'm hitting them at, well, uh, hitting them here, or I'm giving them a plus here, but I'm comparing them. That works great for a cold starting competition because we got to figure out who's going to win. But in life, we do the same things. We compare other people. Well, you're not as far as I am. Oh, well, you're way farther than I am. So I guess I'm better than you, but I'm not near as good as you. Hear what I'm saying? So we compare ourselves to others, and then we try to live up to others, or we try to live above others, and we think that we're all better or worse than someone else. And what it what it what it leads to is accusation and excusing. So what does that mean? Well, you accuse the one who's not as good as you think you are, but then you excuse yourself sometimes. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you accuse yourself too. But you accuse your, excuse yourself when you're not as good as that person that you think you should be as good as. Does that make sense? That's all judging is. Go around judging, judging, judging. What you judge comes back to you. That's why Jesus says, don't judge. He said, says, forgive. Why? Because what you focus on, you give power to in your life. So if you're focused on the negative in other people's lives, what it reveals is a negative that's in your life. Right? What Jesus was saying, judge not, lest you be judged, right? That's why we don't judge anyone except by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because we're all on the same level. Does that make sense? So it deals with it. The whole Bible's about about this. Romans chapter one is about indulgence. Romans chapter two is about comparison. And then we get to Romans chapter three. Anybody know what that's about? Saving yourself. Have we been talking about that just a little bit? So Romans 3 starts out with this. Let, let me start, go back into Romans 2 at, in verse 25 for just a second. I gotta find my glasses. Circumcision has no value if you observe the law, but if you 
ha has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Why is he saying this? Because he's talking to the Jewish people who are thinking they're better than everyone else and judging them based on whether they're circumcised or not. And hint, 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 the first circumcision come before the law. Right? So it's not really about law, but you can take things that are about grace and about God's grace and God's goodness and turn them into a law and then judge and beat people up with them. Does that make sense? So here the Jewish people were, they like, like the Samaritan woman, like, why are you even talking to me, Jesus? Or the woman at the well, why are you even talking to me, Jesus? Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm only half Jew. I ain't even good enough. Like, I'm not even circumcised. I ain't even, most people look down on me. But Jesus, God, but Paul saying something that's really clear here, because he's really hitting, again, the Pharisees and the religious class, because he's trying to get their attention and say, look, it's not because of your circumcision. It's not because you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that, but it's only because of one thing. The righteous are justified by works, right? By what? By what? By faith. So here he says this. Circumcision has no value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have, have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Listen to this. Again, he's saying you're not a Jew. You're not a Christian based on what's happening on the outside. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Remember, I was reading in Isaiah 12 last week where it says you will not, you, you won't judge by what your eyes see or what your ears hear. Remember King David? Nobody thought he was even invited to the party to be invited to king. No one even saw it any, but God saw something great in David that no one else saw. Why? Because God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the heart. No, a man is a Jew if he is, if he is, no, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code, such, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. What is he saying? Hey, it's not the outward, it's the heart that matters. What's in your heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So let's this is why it's so important that we don't try to save ourselves. Now, listen, as I get in here to this, it says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. When you judge, 
that if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. He's not quoting this as you quote this as this is how it is. Okay. Now I know people, if it says in the Bible, God's saying it, you gotta have some context, right? And Paul's clearing this context up because he's saying I'm using this as a human argument. Certainly not. He clears that up, right? If there if, if that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. You know what he's, you know what, what, what they're saying? You know what? They're saying you got a license to sin. You're giving people a license to sin. That's exactly what they're saying. It's like, I never needed a license. I was good at it. <laughs> Still good at it. Like, I didn't have to go to, go to some place and take a, a sin test. You know, am I sinning right? Am I doing this good enough? I mean, how did I get a license? Did I pass a test? No, I was good at it. And they, they were hitting it. And so Paul, he hits it really, really clearly here. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Again, he's taking away the comparison. Not at all. We have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as is it written. There is no one righteous, not even one. Ooh. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift and shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Because they are trying to save themselves. They're trying to earn God's favor. They're trying to earn God's salvation. They're trying to earn something that was freely given to them as a gift. And when you do that, what you're saying is your gift isn't good enough. I can do it better. There's no need for you to die, Jesus, because I got it handled. You know, just you wasted your time. Sorry you went through that page. I got it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscience of sin. What the law brings about, you're trying to do it, you realize when you mess up, oh, I didn't check this box. Oh, I didn't check that box. Oh, I need to pray more. I need to fast more. Oh, I shouldn't have said that word. Am I the only one who's ever done that? Come on now. And we become conscious, and God said, I don't want you to be conscious of sin. I've washed them away. 
I want you to be conscious of my grace and my love and my forgiveness and who I am. Because what you focus on gives power to in your life. Amen. Then we get to the good news, and I'm out of time to share the good news. But I'll give you a clue. It says this. But now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to, to which the law and the prophets testify. He's talking about my old testament. That's exactly what he's talking about. This righteousness comes from God. This righteousness from God comes through works. Comes from doing good. What? That can't be right. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to those who do it perfect. No. To all who believe. Oh, man. That wrecks my doctrine. <laughs> That's not what, not what I have thought. That's what God said. That's what Paul said. You want to know anyone who understood the law and the prophets any better than Paul, you're going to have to go a long way back. He had a complete and total grasp on it, man. And Jesus wrecked his world. Learn once, chips, all kinds of things. To direct his world and change his heart. Amen? It says there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we stop there. But it says, and, thank God for and, and are, and that means, and are justified freely by his grace. If all have sinned, then all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Woo, that'll preach. Preach it, Paul, preach it. And I'm out of time. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being is who you are. We thank you for your free gift that we are. I am righteous. I am justified. I am the son of the most high God, not based on what I did, but based on what you have done. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving me and doing it completely in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.